You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Glory Day Lutheran Church in Houston, Texas. Thanks for joining in. For more information about Glory Day and next steps you can take with us, check out gdlc.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. I am Steve Garbrandt. I am blessed to be a vicar here at Gloria Day, and I'm also blessed to serve as the head of school at Lutheran South Academy. And we are in the middle of a new sermon series on Nehemiah. This is our third Sunday's looking at Nehemiah, and we're looking at the rebuilding that took place historically during the days of Nehemiah, as well as looking at how God is rebuilding His people now. I'm glad we're studying Nehemiah. I believe Nehemiah would have made a great Lutheran school administrator. And here's a a recap of what we've learned over the last two Sundays. We know that Nehemiah, his vocation was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. We know that Nehemiah, after having heard from the, uh, the survivors that are in exile, after hearing their stories about how the walls have been broken down and how the gates have been destroyed, Nehemiah, four months, go, four months later, goes to King Artaxerxes and boldly asks for permission to return to the land of his fathers, to the graves of his fathers, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The Lord moves Artaxerxes to grant permission to Nehemiah, and not just grant permission for Nehemiah to go, but King Artaxerxes also grants Nehemiah safe passage and resources. So now we start our journey today, our study today, at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. And if you're using the Bible before you, that is going to be on page 398, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. Nehemiah says this, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Even though Nehemiah has permission from the king, and we're told he he gives the the letters of, of permission and safe travel, even though he has the king's permission, already Nehemiah faces opposition. Perhaps you can relate to what Nehemiah was facing You see, the Lord put this on Nehemiah's heart and called him into action, and yet he faces opposition. Has the Lord ever put something on your heart or called you to action and it 
didn't go so smoothly? Perhaps it was something so small as, Lord, put on your heart that you need to have more family time, family bonding. Reconnect with your family that you decide that you're going to take a family trip and so you plan and the children hate the destination. Or maybe it's something more permanent, more serious. Maybe it's a relocation, a job change, a career change. Those are all things that can be very difficult to navigate. Prior to coming to Houston, I was a Lutheran school, Lutheran high school principal in the Detroit area. I was tasked with growing a small, young Lutheran high school on the border of Ohio and Michigan. The superintendent of our Lutheran Association, high school association, asked me to go and I went. I was the high school principal and the theology teacher and the social studies teacher and the English teacher. And I taught or and I coached fall sports, boys soccer, winter sports, boys basketball, sometimes girls basketball, and spring sports, girls soccer. Don't have any pity for me if you thought that that was a lot. My wife was the secretary and the assistant principal and a teacher and guidance counselor and athletic director and coach mom to the girls' soccer team. Our kids basically lived there. We had one that was born while we were there and the other two were toddlers growing up for the 12 years that we poured our hearts and our souls in trying to grow this school that had 17 kids. 17 high schoolers. As soon as we had five guys, we had a basketball team. It was hard and taxing and grueling and tiring. And 12 years later, it was recognized, even though we grew the school from 17 to 75 students, we couldn't sustain that ministry. It probably shouldn't have started to begin with, but we were faithful in our attempt. And the superintendent came to me and said, we need to move you to another school in our association. You've done all you could. So I ended up moving to a school that was four, or four times bigger. Went from 75 students to over 300 students. And we sat our kids down at, we took them out to a steak dinner. I'm sure Silas just had mashed potatoes. He was pretty young. 
But the other two, they were going to eat steak, and we were having, we dressed them up. It was going to be a big deal as we broke the news that we were going to move an hour away from the south side of Detroit to the north side of Detroit. And you would have thought the world was coming to an end. Even though the God, God had put on the heart that we needed this change, that we needed this move, that we needed a new ministry, we faced opposition from within. Our kids were devastated that we were moving. You see, even though God puts things on our hearts to do, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Nehemiah faced this. God had put on his heart to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and yet it was not without its opposition. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Oftentimes, when God puts things on our heart or calls us to action, it generally is countercultural. It's going to face opposition. Let's continue in our study with Nehemiah. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and there was and was there 3 days. Maybe we would have thought Nehemiah should have done things differently. He had waited 4 months to ask for permission. He gets the permission. He gets the resources. The king grants him permission to come. The king grants him resources in the in the forest to have the timbers built for the gates. And yet when Nehemiah gets there, he waits 3 days. He does nothing. Maybe we would have thought he would have jumped right into it. Maybe we would have thought that he would have been eager to get started on that wall right then and there, but he didn't. I'm guilty of that. If there's something that I see that needs to be done, I too often jump in and go at it instead of just pausing like Nehemiah did. He paused. Verse 12 tells us then that Then I arose, three days later, I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate, so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. You see, Nehemiah had made a careful, conscious, probing examination of the wall for one reason. As a leader, it was his job to be aware of the details and to develop a plan of action. But there's a big difference between being knowing the details and being lost 
in the details. The individual who is able to stand back being fully aware of the facts and not yet lost in them is the one who is best equipped to lead. Nehemiah made a careful investigation of the facts in his mind as he was surveying everything he was developing a master plan for the whole process of construction and determining the necessary personnel and building materials. Verse 17, he starts to lay out his plan. Then Nehemiah said to them, you see the trouble we are in how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they responded, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. In verses 17 and 18, Nehemiah tells his plan, and he raises up and rallies the workers who are going to be doing this task with him, and their response is, let's rise up and build, and they strengthen their hands for the work. They were fired up. They were motivated. They were ready to get to work. But in verse 19, the next verse, the opposition rears its ugly head once again. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then Nehemiah replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you will have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Notice how quickly the opposition comes. It never fails. There's direct criticism of the plan. Just as soon as the rebuilding crew are rolling up their sleeves to start getting to work, they were opposed. They were criticized. But Nehemiah's response to this immediate opposition is this. The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build but you have no portion or claim or right in Jerusalem. And so we enter into chapter 3. Chapter 3 is all about the rebuilding of the wall. So chapter 1 and 2, Nehemiah gets the courage to ask permission to go. We see the journey he surveys, and now they're going to get to work. We're not going to read through chapter 3. I would encourage you to do that on your own. But there's some things that I want to uh, point out and look at. First of all, chapter 3, as we look at, uh, we're going to look at a couple verses, but chapter 3 is about teamwork. 
No one individual can, get, can accomplish this. And so Nehemiah rallies the troops to get this done. But there are five verses I want to look at and study their commonality. I'll read them too. You can follow along. But listen and see what is common between these five verses. In verse 10, next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumapath, repaired opposite his house. Verse 23, after them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. In verse 28, above the horse gate, the priest repaired each one opposite his own house. In verse 29, after them, Zadok, the son of Imer, repaired opposite his own house. In verse 30, after him, Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. Did you hear the commonality in that? Those five verses speak about work that's being done where? Right next to where they live. Right next to their house. Right next to where they spend their time. I believe there are three reasons as to why Nehemiah strategically did this in his plan of rebuilding the wall. First, it would be an easy commute to work. It's right there. Don't have to worry about traffic jams or long travels. Probably don't even have to worry about taking your lunch to work. And you can even involve the family. It's right there. Second, the walls that are being rebuilt, those same walls that they have a purpose of rebuilding are going to serve as protection right next to their house. We already see that there's opposition about this taking place. And so it's going to serve as protection. And if it's going to serve as protection to your home, there's probably a less likely chance that you're going to cut corners on something that's going to defend your own home. Very good strategy that Nehemiah employed. And lastly, if, if an attack were to take place during construction or if something was going to be Thwarted, the workers would be less likely to abandon their post and searching, going out and searching for their family members to protect them because they're already right there. Yes, Nehemiah was wise to put the men to work closest to where they lived. Friends, my brothers and sisters of Christ, I think as we look at chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Nehemiah, there are some things that are great application for us in our lives today as we look at God still rebuilding in us today. First thing, service for the Lord is always born out of personal devotion to the Lord. We know that Nehemiah had a strong, had a great, immense personal devotion to the Lord. And so the Lord put on Nehemiah's heart what to do. It's important to know that success 
looks a lot different to the Lord than it does to the world. Success is us trusting in the Lord, being faithful in what we're called to do. That's very much different than the world's view of success. God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to trust Him. Ezra and Nehemiah, we've, we've learned the last two weeks that Nehemiah is on the, the heels of Ezra as Ezra was there to rebuild the temple and Nehemiah rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and the gates. 600 years later, that which they're rebuilding is going to get destroyed again. They didn't know that at the time. Does that mean it was for naught? Does that mean it was in vain? No. Nehemiah was asked to be faithful to God and what God had put on his heart. That school that I had told you about that I served for 12 years, I came in its second year and two years after I left, it closed. That school was in operation for 16 years. Does that mean it was for not? A failed ministry? No. Great things happen there. There are young men, well, they're, they're actually men-men now. There are men who are pastors that were at that school. There are men who are school, Lutheran school administrators that were there. There are women who are pastors' wives. There are men who are now elders in their church. It wasn't a failed ministry. Just God closed the door and opened up a new and put things on different people's hearts. God calls us to be faithful to that which He puts on our hearts. To trust in Him. Second point. Building and rebuilding always starts at home. Just as Nehemiah wisely and strategically placed the men around to work on the wall around their homes, the building up and rebuilding of our lives today starts at home. Luther said that faith formation begins in the home. A study, a sociological study says culture changes in the home first. You heard it from Jason this morning as he spoke to our children and he, by the way, was speaking to you as well. That our mission here of helping more people live life with Jesus every day doesn't just take place one hour on Sunday. It's 24 hours, it's 24 7. It's in the home, it's where we work, it's where we live, it's where we play, it's where we spend our time. It's our everyday lives, as he says, we are everyday 
missionaries. That message was as true for you and me as it was for those kids. We have the blessing of sharing the forgiveness of sins, of sharing life, of sharing salvation with those that God has put us in contact with, as God has put them in our lives. And it starts by what we model in the home. Third, being faithful to God requires us to get out of our comfort zone. Throughout chapter 3, if you, if you were to read chapter 3, and I encourage you to do that, you're not going to find a mason. You're not going to find a carpenter. You're not going to find a contractor. You're not going to find somebody who was skilled in the purpose of rebuilding a wall or a gate. You're going to find a high priest and priests and government officials. You're going to find a cupbearer, Nehemiah, and all of them were out of their comfort zone, doing something out of their comfort zone, trusting in the Lord. I could not have come to Houston from Lutheran High School South in Newport, Michigan. I was very comfortable in Michigan. I had poured blood, sweat, and tears for 12 years at Lutheran High School South in Newport, Michigan. And the superintendent of our association asked me to go to Lutheran High School Northwest. I needed to get out of my comfort zone of that small school to go to Lutheran High School Northwest. There I replaced a principal who had been there for 18 years. And God once again called me out of my comfort zone to travel 1,300 miles away to leave family and friends to come to a new ministry where I knew no one to replace somebody who had been there for 16 years as principal of the high school. It's amazing how God prepares you along the way for those next steps. But in order for me to do that, I had to be taken out of my comfort zone. And I tell you what, leaving all of our family 1,300 miles away was a huge step of faith walking out of that comfort zone. Being faithful to God requires us to get out of our comfort zones. And the last point, God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Throughout Scripture, time and time again, we see how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things such as Nehemiah, the cupbearer, and all the wall builders doing an extraordinary thing. The calling of the apostles, ordinary fishermen, a tax collector, doing amazing things of spreading the gospel. God even uses ordinary bread and ordinary wine to miraculously give us His very body and His very blood for the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. God used the cross 
death on the cross, a criminal's death, as a means of saving the world. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And he's doing it with you. He's doing extraordinary things in and through and with you. It began at your baptism. You are being rebuilt as a new creation in Christ. We are being rebuilt with hope and grace and mercy and peace. We are being rebuilt with forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. We are being rebuilt to live a life of a disciple 24-7, being rebuilt to love our neighbor, being rebuilt to live with generosity, being rebuilt to live each and every day with praise and thanksgiving. God is doing extraordinary things in his building up and rebuilding of you and me. And so in closing, I've got three things for you to ponder. What has he placed on your heart to do? What is he directing you to build or rebuild? And how is he calling you out of your comfort zone to be faithful to him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope God used this time to turn your heart more towards him. Be sure to check out Glory Day online at gdlc.org for next steps you can take. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at GDLC Houston as we help more people live life with Jesus every day.